0: Hello and welcome to
1: Will We Make make It it Out Alive?
0: I'm Amy, the Poop Detective. And I'm Jen, the Magical Mapper. This is Episode 7, Poop Happens. In this episode, we're going to talk about one of my favorite things. Poop, poop, more poop, and some biotoxins. We're going to talk about poop in Thailand and in shellfish. We'll talk about how to navigate back to your monitoring site using your mapping grade GPS data, and then we'll talk about Student Green Congress and how you can help connect students to their watersheds. Yay, let's start. (laughs) (laughs) That's too loud. We have to cackle quieter or move away from our mics. Sorry. So this week, we decided to tell a little story about an adventure that Jen and I were on a few years back. We were in Thailand and we went to this place called Rayleigh Beach, which is a peninsula um, kind of off of near Krabby. And um, the only way you can get there is by boat. There's no roads there. So it's kind of like being on an island even though it's not actually. We actually stayed in a hotel there that it was like this concrete building. It had just been rebuilt from the, I think it was 2011 tsunami that Mm. hit Thailand. That whole area had been impacted by the tsunami. And so a lot of it had been rebuilt. Jen and I got back to our hotel one night later in the evening after kind of doing some shopping on the other side. And all of a sudden my tummy didn't feel very well. So I had some charcoal because I thought that would help ease it a little bit. And it's so delicious. I don't know about all that jazz, oh, but okay. it was in the pill form, not just like a chunk oh. of wood.
1: Oh, not like a charcoal, like coal? Yeah, no. Okay, cool.
0: But then my tummy still wasn't feeling very well. And like maybe a half hour later, I had to vomit. And at first it was really terrifying because I vomited out black stuff, which of <laughs> course was the charcoal that I had had. But I had forgotten that in the moment. So I was a little. I felt a little bit better when I remembered that I had taken that. I continued to just not really feel well. I was kind of like in and out of the bathroom every like 15 minutes or so. And at some point I was kneeling in the bathroom and vomiting into the toilet. And all of a sudden I felt the urge slash coming fecal explosion of butt pee coming from my behind. I was able to like get my pants down a little bit. Oh no. But um I'm pretty sure I still made quite the mess. And there was a waste basket there but no like liner and it was like some kind of like wicker woven basket so it was basically just like the toilet and I had to choose which side was going to be going into the toilet and what I would be doing with the other <laughs> side. And so you chose well, that one, it wasn't really a choice. Oh, it was gotcha. just like it happened in the moment and I hadn't had the explosive butt pee yet at that point. And I didn't know what that was like at all oh. because it's the force of the projectile vomit. Ooh. Like there's just zero control of the muscles. Right. There's nothing you can do right. to stop it. That sounds horrible. It was pretty miserable and, you know, like stomach ache and I thought maybe I might die. It's possible. Ugh. Then at about, I don't know, what did we figure? 3 a.m.? Yeah, I started not feeling so well. But Amy was hugging the bathroom. Because I was basically just laying in there dying.
1: And then I was like, Amy, I need to use the bathroom. And she's like, nope, too bad.
0: <laughs> I thought she just had to go pee. And I was like, no, I'm still like about to come out of both ends at any moment. I
1: was like, um, well, I'm about to come out of one end. And she's like, well, you can go down and use the, the public bathroom by the pool. <laughs> did i say that really yes. <laughs> so
0: awesome i was very sick when this happened but then she figured out oh no i was getting sick too and then i felt yeah. bad and was like oh now what are we gonna do i think we had one uh oh, grocery bag
1: oh, and we were yeah. just like
0: holding on to it in case one of us needed it while the other one was in the bathroom like it, it was only just one bag and i was right. like so fearful if I started projectile vomiting again, that would also come Ooh. out the other end, and I would just have this one garbage bag, and you would be in the bathroom, and I would not know what to do. Oh, no. Luckily, we made it out alive. We did do 15-minute shifts in the bathroom, yes, where thank one you of very us much. would be in there for 15 minutes, and then the next one would be in there for 15 minutes, and we flip-flopped until, I don't know, 9 or 10 the next morning. I really appreciate you sharing. <laughs> <laughs> That would have not been fun to go hike down to the public
1: restroom every day. Yeah, no,
0: I had no idea that's what you meant. <laughs> we did have to order some more toilet paper, and they brought us up two rolls. And then, like, two hours later, we had to order some more toilet paper. Yeah. We we're like, no, bring us more toilet paper. Don't make us ask you awkwardly again. And then they, they kind of caught on to what we meant. So we were trying to kind of figure out what had happened, because... Jen and I hadn't really eaten a lot of the same food. We figured it was most likely food related. The next time we actually went to try and eat breakfast, we did notice something like they actually they had pretty good hot and cold holding of the food when we were there. Like they had a it was a nicer hotel and they had um, a pretty elaborate buffet breakfast with quite a few different options, including an omelette bar. Mm-hmm. And what we noticed was it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And they brought out a new bowl. You know, they just had those like stainless steel mixing bowls with the eggs already scrambled in there. So they brought out a new big giant bowl of scrambled eggs and they took the little tiny bit of leftover egg from the last bowl and poured it in. And they'd probably been doing that all morning. And you have to remember, it's like 100 degrees out with 98% humidity. So real hot, really good place to grow some bacteria pretty quickly. And something like norovirus is highly contagious, and that probably is what we suffered from. Probably. So, speaking of norovirus, Mm. nobody wants to eat poopy or toxic shellfish, right? I mean, I don't want to eat any, but especially not poopy or toxic. That's because she doesn't eat the meaty bits. That's right. Washington State Department of Health has a poop and toxic monitoring program. And their goal is basically to make sure that shellfish is safe for people to eat. Throughout Puget Sound, every month, different spots are monitored for fecal coliform in the marine water and from shoreline discharges. They also collect temperature and salinity readings. And there are <laughs> muscle cages that they monitor for Vibrio in the summer.
1: Pirate mussels?
0: Pirate mussels. Oh. And they also do norovirus investigations in response to outbreaks. Hmm. There's some staff that monitors plankton communities and temperatures to identify potential conditions for harmful algal blooms, otherwise known as HABs. Ooh. They use a combination of State Department of Health, local health jurisdiction, and tribal staff and volunteers to complete this work. Staff uses GPS units to navigate back to the same location in the marine water. And Jen will talk more about that in our GIS tools section. Yeah. Also, as we talked about in episode number two, Victoria's pooping habits, fecal coliform is an indicator of untreated human and animal waste. Mm. So basically, a lot of their program is trying to make sure that there's not untreated human waste coming in contact with shellfish that we're eating.
1: That's a good program. Who
0: doesn't like that? And basically, they're performing the monitoring to assess the safety for recreational and commercial shellfish harvest. Do you know why the sand is wet? Because
1: it has water on it? What?
0: No, because the sea weed. (laughs) (laughs) No!
1: Oh, no. Are you going to tell dad jokes this episode?
0: (laughs) So, I don't know if you know this, but shellfish are filter feeders. And they eat whatever's in the water if there's toxins or bacteria or viruses. And they accumulate that into their tissues. The good news is, a lot of times they don't have a negative impact on the shellfish themselves but just on the things that eat the shellfish. Oh. Like people. If the shellfish feed on untreated human waste, they can pass on those illnesses and diseases to people that eat the shellfish. Yummy. Super yummy. Ooh. And then in addition, there are also programs for like biotoxins, neurovirus, and Vibrio. And these toxins make people sick to their stomach, and then some of them can have much worse consequences, such as paralysis and death.
1: Yeah, death's kind of a worse consequence, I'd say.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. so marine biotoxins basically are produced by certain microscopic algae a type of phytoplankton that are naturally present in marine waters normally they are around in amounts too small to be harmful why didn't the two algae ever have sex
1: because they're single-celled organisms
0: because they had a planktonic relationship oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> Wow! But a combination of warm temperatures, sunlight, and nutrient-rich waters can cause rapid plankton reproduction or blooms mm. or habs. Uh-huh. And that's when the illnesses start to show up. Hmm. And these affect shellfish, like oysters, clams, and mussels, and some of them also affect things like crab. Oh. Do you know how oysters communicate?
1: Um, through their pearls of wisdom?
0: Close. Oh. On their shell phones. Um, No. Oh my gosh. Do you know what type of photos oysters take? No. Shelfies. Oh no. (laughs) So um, algae is a food source for shellfish. And um, basically when the shellfish eat this toxic algae, it remains in their system. And large amounts of it mean that they accumulate more of that toxin in their tissue. Here's the important part about biotoxins when it comes to eating shellfish. The toxin itself is not affected by cooking and it remains in the shellfish. Oh, interesting. And then if you get poisoned by it, you just have to wait for the toxin to naturally flush from your system. And they might maybe put you on like a respirator or something like that to help you breathe. But you got to just kind of hold on and make it through basically. I mean, it just doesn't sound worth eating shellfish to me. Whoa. (laughs) Whack fact. People used to taste test shellfish by licking it to see if their tongue got tingly. And then that's when they would say that there was PSP in the water, which is paralytic shellfish poisoning, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a moment. Huh. And now they have monitoring programs to help us better guess when areas might be affected by these different biotoxins. Huh. So I might as well continue talking about paralytic shellfish poisoning since I started, also called PSP. This is the one where you can get tingly lips and tongue, and that can begin within just a few minutes of eating toxic shellfish, or can take a couple hours to develop. Eventually that can move into your arms and legs. You can have difficulty breathing. Some people feel nauseous or experience a sense of floating. And if a person consumes enough toxin... The muscles of the chest can become paralyzed, including muscles used for breathing, and the victim can suffocate. Sounds fun. Death from PSP has occurred in less than 30 minutes. Wow. There's two other main biotoxins in our area. DSP, otherwise known as diuretic shellfish poisoning. And that one just causes nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and butt pee. Was oh, it? But P being the most commonly reported symptom. I mean, compared to paralysis and death, it yes, kind true. of seems not that bad. Yeah. And then there's also ASP or amnesic shellfish poisoning. And these are all from naturally occurring biotoxins. This one's from domoic acid. And it can result in permanent short term memory loss, which I think maybe you have. So maybe you oh. did get some of this in you somehow. Huh. What did you say? Exactly. (laughs) Razor clams and Dungeness crabs are most commonly impacted by ASP and that's because it's more common on the outer coast than in Puget Sound itself. Fascinating. Whack fact, sometimes PSP is inappropriately referred to as red tide. Meanwhile, there could be a red looking tide such as the tomato soup bloom Noctiluca. It's actually not toxic to humans. Mm. So don't just trust the color of the water to determine if you think there are biotoxins. There's a DOH map link on our website, which shows shellfish closures both due to bacteria and to biotoxins. Mm. So you can check that map before you go out and harvest shellfish to make sure that you're harvesting in an area that is most likely to be safe. Mm. Some other things that people can worry about from eating shellfish. Norovirus basically is from coming in contact with untreated human poop or vomit. Mm. It's highly contagious. And shellfish accumulate the virus in their tissues when they feed on it. Fun. According to the Department of Health website, the most common symptoms of norovirus are stomach pain, projectile vomiting, and severe butt pee. Slight edit by me. (laughs) Other (laughs) symptoms may include fever, headache, and body aches. That sounds a lot like what Jen and I experienced when we were at beautiful Rayleigh Beach.
1: Yeah. I luckily missed out on the projectile vomiting piece of that, but the rest of
0: it, amazing yeah what the shell did you know that people who eat raw oysters or undercooked shellfish are at higher risk of norovirus illness and that norovirus persists longer in colder marine water and we tend to see more shellfish related norovirus illnesses from november to march i did not know that the point of a pencil can hold billions of norovirus particles and it only takes tens to hundreds to infect someone
1: wow that's not very many
0: Just stay clam over there, Jen. (laughs) Whatever. What did the ocean say to the shore? Hi. Nothing. It just waved. Uh (laughs) So another thing found in the shellfish is vibrio. And it's also naturally occurring in marine waters, normally in low numbers, and that doesn't pose a threat. But it multiplies rapidly in warm conditions. So fish and shellfish are more likely to be contaminated in the summer. Again, symptoms include fun stuff like butt pee, (laughs) cramps, (laughs) nausea, vomiting, headache, fever, and chills. The illness is usually mild or moderate, and it can run its course in a couple of days. Wow. So that's why it's kind of important to make sure the shellfish that you eat are safe. And if you want to avoid getting butt pee and have a better idea that the shellfish beaches are safe for harvest near you, Like we were saying earlier, check out the harvest maps link on our website. And then you also want to get your shellfish cold as soon as possible after you harvest them and cook your shellfish in the summer to minimize the risk of vibrio and in the winter to minimize your risk of norovirus. So just always cook it. It's up to you, but Oh, so the spring and fall you can eat it raw. Or if you like would be more okay with getting vibrio but less okay with eating noro, maybe eat it in the summer versus the winter.
1: Okay. So, what I'm hearing is that most of these things are naturally occurring, so there's not really anything that we can do about it, just uh, monitor to make sure it's safe to eat. But the part, like norovirus, is that
0: preventable? It is, so like, don't poop or vomit on the beach. And then also, don't poop or vomit from your boat. Vomit. Is like fish food. And I think I just vomited a little bit in my mouth. Uh, I would say that's a good call. If you don't feel good, try not to go out in the boat, I think is really the take-home message there. And then obviously, wash your hands. Right. Unless you don't believe in germs. I believe in germs.
1: If they find high levels of fecal coliform, try to
0: find the source and... Ah, uh, yeah. Move that? Yes, okay. they have all sorts of programs yeah. that look at the shoreline impacts, mm-hmm. and they work with local health jurisdictions mm-hmm. and tribal governments to try to identify non-point sources. Good.
1: I'm glad they're doing something about the part that they can do something about.
0: Yeah. Let's move on to
1: talking about our GIS tools. Mm. So we talked in episode two about GPS units and their varying accuracies. And this episode, I want to kind of follow up on that a little bit and talk about using GPS units to actually navigate back to the locations that you previously GPSed. That
0: seems like a very helpful tool.
1: Right? So let me walk you through a scenario.
0: I haven't heard this yet. Mm -hmm. You'll love it. Jen was over there cackling earlier.
1: (laughs) So... Once, long, long ago, in the land before time, there was a cat called the Poop Detective. This cat... Amy says no. (laughs) This cat stalked the shores of Hood Canal, searching for fecal coliform. Meow. She took samples of water from outfalls, rivers, and streams, placing the sample on her tongue. Meow. To detect whether or not poop was present. If she found poop, she slinked up the outfall or stream keeping her sharp eyes out for the source. Once she found the source, she worked to fix the issue. Meow. So she needed to be able to sample the same sites repeatedly to determine whether her efforts were fruitful.
0: Or poopful, you could say.
1: (laughs) Or poopless. In the end. Yes. So in order to do so, she drew petroglyphs on the rocks.
0: I learned it from watching you, Jen. (laughs) This was
1: problematic, as sometimes humans living nearby would paint the rocks or move them. She needed to find a better way. Once she found out about GPS technology meow, she started collecting the locations of her sample sites with a mapping grade GPS unit. Now that she had accurate locations, how to get back to those exact sites. This is where wayfinding comes in. She used her furry paws to load her sample sites back into the GPS unit, along with some other helpful GIS data such as aerial photos, roads, and water features. She then used the wayfinding or navigation feature to skulk back to the exact site. She still used her tongue to detect poop, though. Meow. Others have tried to get her to send samples into the lab, but her poop detection skills are unsurpassed.
0: I'm just like those poop-smelling dogs, only better.
1: (laughs) So, as you may know, navigating back to a specific point can be a critical part of the process in certain studies like water quality monitoring. If you're able to get back to the general area, that might work for some studies, but if you need to know which outfall pollution is coming from so that you can trace it back to its source, getting back to the exact outfall is important. So just as with collecting data, getting back to the same point also requires a higher degree of accuracy. In almost all cases I can think of, You can use the same device or application you used to collect the data to get back to the feature. You can also get points taken by somebody else and load them into your GPS unit or into an application such as Collector for ArcGIS. You want to make sure that the accuracy of your device is appropriate for your needs and navigate back to the spot.
0: Or you could train a cat to bring you back to that same spot. A poop detecting cat?
1: So, mapping grade GPS units don't typically navigate you using turn-by-turn directions. Instead, they show you where you are in relation to the point that you want to get to. That's why you put other background information onto your GPS to assist you in finding your point, such as, you know, the aerial photography roads and water bodies, like we talked about. That helps you see what's between you and your point that you're trying to get to and navigate around. Uh, You still need to use your own navigational skills to get there in most cases.
0: Or your poop detecting skills Mm, to bring you back to the same spot.
1: Mm -hmm. So I'll talk about this more on the blog, but you will need to look up instructions for your specific device and or
0: application
1: because they're not all the same, Hmm. but they do all have this function.
0: That is something that's very useful for any Mm -hmm. kind of monitoring or sampling to kind of get you back to the same spot that you were at so you can collect comparable data from that point. Exactly. Speaking of collecting data from a point, let's talk about our citizen
1: science. Today, I wanted to highlight the Green Congress.
0: Ooh. Is that like part of the new Green Deal?
1: Nope. Although if you Google it, that's all that comes up. Hilarious.
0: (laughs) Don't worry, we already Googled it for you, though, so you can just go to our website and get directly to the Mm -hmm. correct page without having to read through all that new Green Deal stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. The Green Congress covers South Puget Sound and Nisqually River Watershed School Districts. It started back in 1992 with around 100 students.
0: Wow, I was barely even born then.
1: Whatever. This year, they have over 500 students from fourth grade up through high school. Students form groups and each group monitors a site in one of the South Sound watersheds. They perform monitoring two times, once in October and then once again in February. And then in March they get together and present their findings to each other at the Green Congress. And students talk about what the results might mean. They talk about their watershed land use characteristics, etc. And They also celebrate sites that meet water quality standards, so it's not all just doom and gloom. So once they present their findings, they also brainstorm solutions that can make things better in their watersheds. So in the afternoon, the students attend workshops on topics such as making bird boxes or how aquatic insects can tell them about a stream's health and discovering the power of nature through journaling and art. So, if you're interested in the Green Congress, they could actually still use a few volunteers to help out with the event itself on March 21st at the Evergreen State College. We'll put a link up on our website to the place that you can sign up to volunteer. If you're interested in helping the students with monitoring, they always need volunteers for that as well. Again, they monitor in October and February.
0: Well, well, well. What do we have here? Did you know that Stubbs the Cat has been the mayor of Takina, Alaska for the last 15 years? Nope, did not
1: know that. There are some other programs in Washington that are similar. The one that I found was in Clark County, Washington in the Vancouver area where the city and county run a program with local schools, that, and then they team up with a Washington State University campus in Vancouver to host the culminating Student Watershed Congress in May of each year. Hmm. So it's a very similar program where the students learn about water quality sampling and actually perform it and, again, present their results. There are several other programs where students Learn about and perform water quality sampling, such as in the San Juan Islands and in Shelton, Washington, and I'm sure many others, and we'll link to some resources on our blog. Let us know if we've missed anything, and we'll add them to our site. Well,
0: we've come to the end of Episode 7. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've had fun, and maybe even learned something. Today we told you about our adventure with probable norovirus in Thailand. Mm keeping seafood eaters safe from poopy and toxic shellfish, and using mapping-grade GPS units for finding your way back to that spot you were at one time. And finally, we talked a little bit about how you can help kids learn more about water quality monitoring so they can save the planet.
1: Yeah. Put it all on the kids. We have some kind of sad news. Mm. So after our first seven episodes, which we put out every other week... We've decided to only produce one
0: episode each month. What? I know. You didn't even tell me about this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So since we still actually both work full time, and we do want to bring you hilarious and high quality content, we've decided to only release one episode a month. So our next episode, episode eight, will be released April 2nd, and then after that, there will be a new episode that drops the first Tuesday of every month.
0: Dropping it like it's hot.
1: Yeah. At least for a while.
0: Until Jen learns how to Google things for herself and doesn't need other people like me to do it for her.
1: Uh, actually, until we get things a little more streamlined. But please do join us for our next episode. and Fish.
0: As always. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And please let us know what you think about us at OutAlivePodcast.com or Facebook.com slash Will We Make It Out Alive. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Will we make it out alive? This is Amy the Poop Detective. And Jen, the magical mapper. Signing off. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wah, 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 wah.